welcome back to yet another episode of Animation Broadcast and Cinema. My name is Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And we have a jam-packed slate today. It's one of our biggest ones, I feel like. Um, I wanted to start off ta today talking to you, Jacob, about you know just what we've seen lately, because I have actually been able to make it to the movie theater and see new movies. It's been yes. great. I missed it. Um, the One of the most recent ones I saw, I saw it on Sunday, was uh, Last Night in Soho, which I know, I think you mentioned last week, but I had not seen it, so we couldn't really get into it. Yeah, um, what'd you think of it? A big departure from what Edgar Wright has usually done, right? Like, this is, like, by far him taking himself super seriously. Uh, I think in some aspects, yeah. Um, I think story-wise, definitely. Yeah, I mean, well, in, ca like, camera movement and stuff, like, that's all the same, but... It's yeah, much like it more still of has, a, it still has right. Edgar Wright style to it. But there was no, it was was not a very lighthearted movie. There, it was oh, heavy. No. It was so heavy, and I, he's never done that before. Every one of his movies is like a horror comedy or Baby Driver, which was a fast paced little action movie, but had a lot of jokes in it. Like, well, what's interesting about this is it kind of fools you because the first half is completely different from the second half. Great trailer too. Like I was not expecting the way this was going to go. Did you, no, I thought it was pure horror. I didn't see the trailer. So I thought it was going to be like a pure horror movie. I was going into this. I'm like, is this the right movie? What is this? The, the like trailer. Movie. Yeah. The trailer made it seem a little bit more coming of agey. And like, I thought I knew there was going to be like some super intense twist to it, but I thought it, everybody, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the trailer. And so, you know, it's, she's going like, she's, it looked like she's going through mirrors to become this girl in the sixties, not dreams or whatever. And then, also, I only watched the trailer once, so I don't know if I remember it very well. But I thought it was going to be something where, like, she couldn't tell what her reality was, maybe, or mm. if it was going to be, like, a past life situation. And then, holy shit, I was completely wrong. <laughs> well, it kind of starts out that way, but yeah, then it, it goes does. in a different direction. It, um, I called two of the, tw the two of the bigger twists. Really? Not the, not, not the biggest revelation, I think, but I called two of, like... Character-involved twists, mm, I think. Yeah, he fooled me. I totally thought I had it, and then and he he, gotcha. it became obvious that it wasn't. And no. then, yeah, did the, the another twist that got me. There was did three real good it. ones. There was three real good ones in there. Um, I love Matt Smith a lot, the guy who plays Jack. Mm, yeah, he's he was great. awesome. Um, he was really good in that role, even though he was a dick. And then, um, but, I mean, I'm, I was, like, a little, like, middle school nerd and knew him from Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've never seen and him before. He's popped up in a, in a lot of different places. Um, he's in Terminator Genesis, I know, and then he did. he's on The Crown, and mm. um, apparently he's in Pride and Prejudice Zombies. I okay. Know about that. Um, and he is going to be in Morbius. So, oh, cool. Okay. Um, I was shocked from Thomas and Mackenzie in this movie. She was incredible. She was so good. I also thought Anya Taylor-Joy had a much bigger role, but not at all. Tom she, kind of stole the show. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy had a she had a pretty big role. I wouldn't say. Yeah, but like she, she wasn't was really. I thought she was like more of like a main character or a second main character, supporting character, but she kind of wasn't. She was kind of just there for some of it, and that was it. Um, I love Thomas and Mackenzie's accent. 
a lot. <laughs> the whole time I was like, or the, the in the movie, I was just yeah. like, oh, it's so charming. Like I, I like it. <laughs> like I like her real life accent too. It's got the New Zealand I accent. I don't know if I've ever heard her in real life. Um, New Zealand. I can't even do a New Zealand accent. I'll no, that was that was. I don't know if that was <laughs> even close to Australian. Um, she's she also has the power of the dog coming out this year too. So she'll yeah. We, we still get one more from her. Um, this is so, so, such a complete sidebar. Did you see the thing about what Benedict Cumberbatch was saying today about that movie? About Power of the Dog or Last yeah, Night Power of the Dog. No, I've not. He, you know, it's like a Western and, mm-hmm. so apparently he quit smoking cigarettes in 2014 and then okay. had to smoke cigarettes again for this role. And they were like unfiltered, hand rolled shit that the prop guys were rolling. And he said he gave himself nicotine poisoning three times. Whoa! Because they were doing so many takes, he said each one it would be a new cigarette. And like he was like, and he said he like fake cigarettes exist, right? I don't know. He said he really wanted to be part of the character, and he wanted to have like the smell on him too. Because like Uh. he said that even when he was like, I think he kind of went method for this because he was like. He said that he wanted to have the smell on him when he wasn't shooting. Yeah, but you can just, like, rub tobacco on you and still get the same. Yeah, especially if you quit and, like, it's been, what, five years? And starting back up again for a role? Eh. I mean, I get it. It's, like, it's acting. You want to give the best performance you can. But there's fake cigarettes out there. I've used them in films. They're very similar. They do the same exact thing. (laughs) You don't need to actually smoke nicotine. Smoke is smoke. <laughs> um, so bringing it back to, I just that was just a funny little anecdote. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, Michael, Michael Ajao, is that how you pronounce it? That played John. Mm, yeah, I think so. Is he the most likable guy in a movie ever? I was like, oh, I was, I loved him. He was such a nice guy, and my girlfriend was next to me, and like. She was taking this movie very intensely because, like, obviously it has some pretty intense, you know, th- female things going on, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to give anything away or spoil anything because it's a lot of heavy themes. But um, the whole time she was like, that is the best guy ever. Like, Yeah, he's a cutie. He's dealing with all this weird shit going on. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I probably, like, after the first weird outburst i'm probably out of there like (laughs) he was a great friend great friend um it was just it was the girl who played what was her name uh jacosta jacosta oh the bully oh god what a oh she's such a bitch i hate that's all right one thing about this movie that i did not like was her role she was just so basic and cliche. Like she was the most typical bully, and she's in. They're in college. This isn't high school or middle school. They're in college. Yeah, no but one it's bullies a, like that in college. It, it seems to be a pretty small college, and also I, I, for one, do you not think that was an intentional choice? No, I mean obviously, obviously it was intentional. That's why her character's there. But right, it's just it was um, so cliche for me. Like we've seen that a billion times. Like I didn't expect that coming from Edgar. I, th- I don't know. I think that's the point. I think the cliche is the point of it. Um, yeah, and I mean, it does just, the same thing in Baby Driver, too. And, yeah, and it gives an easy, like, I don't know, I guess, quote-unquote, real-world conflict that make everything so much harder to deal with. And 
I feel like it's a, a little easier cut and dry if she has super supportive friends that can help her with this strange situation, right? Like, I don't say they have to be supportive, but they don't have to, like, mock her and, like, go behind her back and just, like, do all this dumb shit. I think I think she's supposed to be a little bit of an outcast, um, and so this, like, just, you know, it's the, like, if they're super nice people, like, what? what I'm not saying nice, just, like, you can be nice and not nice, you know, like, ignore people, you just go, like, uh-huh, and then, like, walk away. You don't have to, like, mock them. In front of them. I've seen I've seen real life mockery at college in college. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, mostly directed at me. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Nerd. I find. Yes, that's <laughs> a lot of that. Um, you watch right. movies, nerd. <laughs> this guy's a fucking podcast. <laughs> um, when did you see French Dispatch? Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Thursday or Friday. Um, oh no, because we'll get to what we, but we saw the same movie on Friday and we will get to that. Oh yeah, yeah. so it's probably Thursday. I have set plenty of time aside for that. Um, yeah, French Dispatch, I saw that on Monday. Um, you saw it Thursday, you texted me immediately after it and you were like, I loved that, you have to see it as soon as possible. And I agree, holy shit. Um, I said this in my letterbox review. I, Wes Anderson's making a run to be like my favorite filmmaker. I've, I'm very vocal about it being Michael Mann, but like, God, he's such a talented dude. And his it's movies incredible. just make you from feel start good. to finish. As soon as the first shot like appeared on screen, I was immediate smile on my face. Like I, you know, it's a Wes Anderson movie, and you're yep. just long for the ride. You just like sit back. You're just like, ah, oh, bring you're me like, more Wes Anderson. Bring it on. It's the opposite of, like, Last Night in Soho, where, like, you don't actually have to worry about anything when everyone yeah, is yeah. comes on. It was such a good... Seeing those back-to-back nights, like, if walking into the theater for French Dispatch, it was like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could just watch people stand symmetrically in front of a camera and speak. <laughs> like, I can't wait. It's insane wait. how, like, specific his style is that immediately any shot you know it's him. Right. I One oh. of, like... Oh, it's, he's such just an uh, iconic filmmaker, I think. And this is, I did not have this on our little list here. Can we call Wes Anderson an indie filmmaker anymore? Like, I think he thinks he's indie, and I think a lot of people like to say he's indie, and he does all his movies with, like, indie companies like Fox Searchlight and stuff. But, I mean, his name is so big now, I don't think he can be considered indie. No, I don't think he's indie, but he's, tr- I think... One, he tries to keep his movies as cheap as possible, which is obviously why studios like him. But also, I think he just is like a very discreet and quiet guy to begin mm-hmm. with. Like he doesn't talk about his movies, doesn't do a bunch of interviews and like press and things like that. He kind of stays really low key, especially when he's filming his movies. He's kind of just that type of guy. So I feel like, like with someone like um, I don't know, like Edgar for example. Edgar is very vocal and does a lot of press and talks about his movies a lot. So they're they're kind of like opposites in a way. So yeah. that's why I feel like he kind of does seem like an indie filmmaker, but he just he just has, I don't know, he just is very quiet about his movies. He does, much. he does indie movies, like, I think a lot of indie movies are considered, like, when you don't have, like, a typical protagonist, and there's, sometimes there's no real clear goal, like, especially with this movie, there's not necessarily a clear goal besides, it's mostly just to tell these stories, you know, these three stories, um, four, because they kind of have one little random one that like the owen wilson one just to get your feet wet into it i love that like uh, it was a great one him just riding around on a bike around this small 
French town was fantastic. All these cool um, shots. But I think, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can really call him indie anymore. No, everyone he, knows who he is. Everyone's kind of seen at least one of his movies. Like, immediately when you tell someone Wes Anderson, they, they know, like, they can think of what his movies are, or, like, what shots he's done and stuff like that. I got home and I was like, I kind of want to watch Fantastic Mr. Fox right now. Like, I was like, yeah. I love that movie. That's a great one. That, I think it's my favorite Wes Anderson. Really? Yeah. I, I can't choose. I can never choose. It's tough, but I that's the one I usually go to. I, I think I've seen that one the most. The first one I saw was Rushmore. Mm. And honestly, I didn't really love it. I was, I was a little, was well, that a little... one's definitely different from his other ones. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very different. I mean, it's mm-hmm. his sec- it was his second big movie, so. But yeah, it's cool watching his evolution of his style kind of grow. Like, especially right. with this one, like, this is his style, like, cranked up to the max. Like, I, I've said this, and I've seen other people say it, too. Like, this is Wes Anderson's tenet. Like, he literally just pushed everything that it really he loves and just <laughs> maxed it out to on steroids. <laughs> just like Nolan this did with Tenet. is indeed his tenet, without yeah. a doubt. Um... I mean, yeah, I mean, he even put a little animation in there on this one. Like, he was doing it all. He was yeah, I love that. Yeah, he got all get... his, like, actors that he usually uses. The cinematography was so stylized and so on point the entire time. So colorful. All these quirky little dialogue bits. Um, the pandemic ended up actually working in our favor on this one, too, because it pushed back the French Dispatch, which sucked at first. But now it means we're getting back-to-back years of Wes Anderson movies because 2022 mm-hmm. Asteroid City, baby, let's rock. Yeah, Bill Murray in that one too. Uh huh. Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Sophia Lillis. I love Sophia Lillis. Mm-hmm. Adrian Brody coming back. Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright, Jeff Goldblum. Let's Oof. rock. Oh. Tony Revolori. He loves some Tony Revolori now. He's all over Tony Revolori. Mm-hmm. Um, Leif Schreiber, Jason Schwartzman, of course. I mean, it is a cast, baby. Oh, man. Cast <laughs> and half. We are rocking. Um, one thing I really loved about The French Dispatch as well was he very, I think, openly takes a lot um, from French cinema. You know, mm. like, it's a lot of shots are very similar to that. Moonrise Kingdom was very, had a very French cinema feel to me. Um, yeah. Well, I think he's and vocally talked about how he's always wanted to make like a French like movie. He loves the French New Wave shit, and so mm-hmm. this movie, like, he just totally leaned into it and was just straight up doing things that you'll see in like the Four Hundred Blows and sh- movies like mm. that, and yeah. it's it was awesome. <laughs> I, was I also there. think the anthology worked in his favor, especially for a movie where he's like maxing out his style. Like he did, right. you kind of have to like consume it in bite-sized pieces and these like little mini vignettes throughout. And I think it worked really well. And it let him change up his, and we were talking about getting his styles, all his favorite styles. And he was able to do that all like through three different stories. I loved yeah. um, the second one. With Timmy, Timothy Chalamet speaking in English and the girl, uh, I cannot remember her name for the life of me right now, um, the girl opposite him speaking French. Like, that's just one of the quirky little things that he does. Yeah. Um, well, one so. thing actually that I have not seen, Mike, <laughs> one thing that I've not seen Wes Anderson do before in that specific story was 
he did shaky cam in that he did have a shaky cam as soon as like the the conflict started between the two of them he started to he went to shaky cam and it was a lot of like shaky movement like on the camera on the shoulder i think he does it once or twice in moonrise kingdom Mm. i think when when the kid rides uh the lucas hedges rides the dirt bike up the hill he shaky cams oh, up. Oh, okay. But I think that's really the only other time I can think of. Yeah, it was very noticeable. I was like, whoa. We're yeah. not on a tripod for this shot? What are you doing? Not just on tracks, keeping it as straight as possible. Yeah, this is a dolly? What? Um, Francis McDermott was great in that. Um, the Timothy Chalamet. There's one or two things in every like Wes Anderson movie where I'm like side-eyeing it. Like, what What are you doing here? Like Chalamet McDermott? Chalamet McDermott, the see the beach scene in Moonrise Kingdom every single time. Uh, I'm like, these actors are actually twelve. Like, this is a little, this is a little weird. Like, <laughs> but also in French cinema, they do oh. tend to be young during that time. Right, right. Uh, no, you're a hundred percent correct. So um, he's definitely getting that influence from from French mm-hmm. cinema. Um. Oh, Hen- I forgot Henry Winkler. Just random Henry Winkler shout. Oh yeah, movie. it was great. It was great. Yeah, I love Henry Winkler. The uh, Benicio del Toro uh, vignette was so good. Fantastic. So good. That was my favorite. Also, random like Tilda Swinton nude in there. Just like <laughs> he threw that in, and it was. One- I love that. It was so funny. I love Tilda <laughs> acting like she. Um- I don't know even what you call them. Just like the museum tour guides, I yeah. guess. Or the speakers. curator. Yeah. This and thing, she's... She nailed that voice so well. And she's just like going so casually through all this thing. And then she goes, that is me naked. And then goes on to the next one. I'm like rolling in the theater. There was one other guy in the theater with me seeing this movie. And he did not laugh once. And I was like crying, laughing. It's oh, one of his... A super... Yeah, it's fuzzy. You're about it's to say It's one of his funniest ones. Yeah. By far. It's so <laughs> great. Um, and so it was really uh, it was really interesting because I think it's also his most adult movie. And, and, and similar with Edgar Wright, it's his most... It's not mature, but it's the only one where I often feel like in his movies, adults act like children and the children are the most mature people in the movie. You know, usually, especially with like a Moonrise Kingdom... A Royal Tenenbaums, uh, everyone acts like a child in that movie, and it's always... But, like, in this one, there's not really much of that. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of right. There's not that many kids, either. No, there's there's really none at all. Um, Well, there's a little bit. There's the, the, the kid in the last one. The son of the main. The son is in it, but he also act, but he well that's typical of Wes Anderson actually him acting like an adult, but right. I, I don't I don't count the high schoolers as kids. I I'm just gonna think in my yeah. mind that they're all eighteen, especially yeah. for other reasons. All right, um, <laughs> moving on. This is not one that I saw in theaters. Um, it is not. It is one you have not seen at all. It is the harder they fall, and Jacob uh. refuses to see this movie because Jay Z <laughs> took his shooting location from him, um, but. If you like westerns, you will love this movie. It is a massive homage to the genre. It's it reminds me of, it's a lot of like Tarantino-esque action, like especially like Django style action, I think, with the hmm. gunfights and such and um it leans fully into the western tropes and it's not like a it's not like 
a bad creative like lazy choice you know because like just like oh this is what you do in westerns it's literally like it felt like it was respecting every else every other western that has come before it um how was the cast oh that a pretty great cast they were amazing jonathan majors like he might he might be that guy like he really might be that guy he is Mm -hmm. so good if if he i this and this is obviously because like this is a a black western movie and so is Django like it, it's gonna get there's gonna be so many comparisons drawn to it but like if Jonathan Majors had been this big like when that movie came out I think he would have been a better Django than Jamie Fox he mm. plays a cowboy so perfectly and I was like the second the first second he's on screen you're like I'm in. This is this is it. This is this is the guy right here. Um, Zazie Beats was amazing. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield was awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I heard that he was afraid of horses before this movie and didn't want to go anywhere near them, and he had to like overcome his fear of like getting on a horse and riding it for the first time. That's he's, a like, pretty... very he's very proud of himself for that. That's a very on brand Lakeith Stanfield thing. <laughs> I think he posted on his Instagram, but yeah. Um, RJ Seiler and Eddie Gethe- Gethegi, Gethegi? Um, were two members of the Nat Love gang, and they were great. I don't think I had ever really seen them before. Um, they, they were so good. Eddie Gethegi, I know I haven't. And then RJ Seiler, um, he's the Blue Ranger in Power Rangers, actually. Okay. I, which I have not seen that movie, but I, I would recognize him from that if I had. And then he's also in Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. He's like the one of the main characters in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, he's Earl. Okay, yeah. Um, That's one of my favorite movies. He is. He's great. Um, yeah, he hasn't been in many roles, so I'm glad he's in this. Damon Wayans Jr. was like came in for like five minutes but was like shooting threes from the half-court line. Like he was going all out. Regina King was pretty good. Um, Danielle Deadweiler, holy shit, was amazing. I mean, everybody really brought it in this movie. Like they were, they, they knew what was going on. Like they were, they, everybody bought in, which is what you want. Glad to hear it. But you're never gonna watch it. So, <laughs> um, that was pitching for people in the audience who might want to see it. It was really, really good. Um, I finally saw Titan. Yes. Do we need to do some Titan talk or have that? I just want. Nice? I want to hear your raw thoughts on the movie. Um, did you do that on purpose because of the other movie? Did you uh, do that on purpose because no, raw? That was completely accidental. That was yeah. a great shout. Wow, that was awesome. And that's what you could get out of this podcast, folks. Just wow. pure moments like that. Um, I loved it, and I also hated yes. it. And I, <laughs> it's going to the it's. It's what the French put up for their <laughs> international picture of the like their best international feature. It won um, cans. So it did win can. It uh, we'll see if it gets the nod for the Oscars. Um, Jesus Christ, I can't imagine shipping this movie to the old ass people in the Academy. <laughs> people say they want new blood. This movie might cause some heart attacks. Oh, Especially man. that last scene is gonna cause. It's gonna. Whew, yeah. Honestly, like the fourth scene when 
Oh, God, it is rough. It Honestly, is rough. any scene when she's pregnant and she's trying to hide it. Oh, oh I was cringing and like I had to look away so many times. Like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, oh. oh and the cars oh. and everything like that. I, ooh, wow, it was interesting. Um, Bad. give it like, a watch. It, <laughs> it shocks you. It's, yeah. Um, it's like an electric shock. I will say, if you're going to watch this movie, like, and this is, this is a joke, but it, I did not mean for it to be a joke. Buckle in. Like, just <laughs> buckle up, baby. It's, it's a, a ride. wild ride. It is a, it is terrifying. Um, uh, and then you saw Spencer over the weekend, too, correct? I did, which completely shocked me how much I love this movie. It was insane. Um, I, I was going into it. I knew nothing about Princess Diana. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to any of that that stuff. I had no idea she even died. <laughs> I was okay. I was I was trying to jump in and stop you there. I was about to say how not that much. What do you mean you didn't know she died? What are you talking? I, about? I don't know anything about that world. That world. Wait, 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 <laughs> But you have you have to have had some awareness about. I know the name, and I knew who she like was. I knew she was, uh... And you didn't know about the tunnel and the car nope. crash? Nope, I had no idea. The conspiracies? You this didn't movie know does, of that? This movie doesn't even go into the, her death or the car crash or anything. But, but yeah, I had no idea. And then my mom had to, like, fill me in as uh, after we watched it. But yeah, so I went into this movie knowing nothing. I thought it was going to be more of, like, a biopic kind of just explaining her life. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll learn more about her. But no, this movie did the complete opposite. It's it's like a full indie art house film. It gets very weird, uh, very stylish. It had almost like a Birdman vibe to it with the score. Oh, it was it was amazing. It blew my mind. I did not expect it. It was like a full on character study, and it took place over three days. And I think it was like the three biggest days of why she's famous and when she went crazy and all that. Um, okay. But oh man, what I don't think movie. she went. I don't think she went crazy. Um, that's what the, the that's what they depict her as. Okay. Not the movie, but that's what like the public depicted her as. It's going crazy. Yes, the press did that because yeah. of whole other things. I know way too much about this. I have a friend who's obsessed with it, and she tells me everything about it. Um, mm-hmm. Huh. That's interesting. So it's so it's not like a biopic. It's a not at all. It's really just like this art house like character piece about this one character. But they use Princess Diana as a character. Yeah, no, it still follows the actual events and I think stays as realistic as you can because there's obviously a lot of dialogue and it all happened inside the the castle so no one really knows what happens inside the castle, you know. Hmm, But I think... What are you going to say? No, you go. You go. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, like, I don't think it's insanely accurate, but it did follow all the events. Like, that's what my mom said, at least. Um, Huh. But yeah, very good, and I would definitely recommend seeing it in theaters because Johnny Greenwood did the score, who does like all PTA's movies. Um, Phantom Thread's one of my favorite scores ever, and oh, he knocked it out of the park with this one. Huh. That's yeah, interesting. It's a complete shock of the year, definitely. It's um, one of my favorites. And that's another flip Kristen from... Stewart, Kristen Stewart, obviously, was incredible in I this do. Incredible. I do kind of want to see it uh, for her. Dude, you should. Good Kristen Stewart. It's, it's a great film. I don't hate her. I don't like. I don't. I haven't seen many of her movies, honestly. Yeah, but I like her personality and interviews and such so much that like I need to see a good one from her. So I looked up interviews of like Princess Diana afterwards, and 
Oh man, she nailed it! Like she really? got all the aneurysms and like the voice and just everything. Mannerisms, yeah. mannerisms, not aneurysms. Mannerisms. That's what I said. No, you said aneurysms. Mannerisms. <laughs> mannerisms. What are you doing? No, I'm fucking bitch. Are you giving Kristen Stewart an aneurysm here? What's going on? <laughs> um, Good lord. Yeah, she was amazing. I'm gonna start putting in fines for. <laughs> you do that. All right. That's another neon film movie. They've had a year this year, dude. Neon films. Yeah. They had they did Spencer, they did Titan, and they did Pig. They also did that Billy Eilish documentary. Those are four like Billy Eilish documentaries. Shockingly, I think is the smallest of the. Well, Pig actually is probably the smallest, but it's a it's Pig is a highly critically acclaimed movie. Well, um, not only that, they have a lot more this year. They had. The Worst Person in the World, Flea, Memoria, which is that movie I was talking about that's going to do like that weird museum exhibit where it's going to travel right. around the world. Oh, yeah. All these movies got like critical acclaim. And what I noticed, I was once you told me about like how Neon's kind of ramping up, I started to look at their roster. And I noticed that all the movies, especially recently they've been choosing, have all been like can winners or can nominated films or festival winners like Sundance and all the big ones like that. So I think they're really just kind of going after that like niche festival market of all these like art house indie films and just mm-hmm. ramping them up and, and they're doing a great job. It's kind of like what A twenty four is doing, but they're kind of right. taking like a little different route. So, um, some notable ones they've had is Colossal, which was that Anne Hathaway like kind of monster weird movie. But like yep. from what I've heard, I haven't seen it, but like people that have have told me it's really good and really funny. Yeah, Ingrid Goes West is a notable one with um, love that one. Elizabeth Olsen and what's the other chick's name? Aubrey uh, Plaza. Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Plaza. Yep. I Tanya. Great movie. Best yep. Picture nominated a few years ago. Um, Beach Bum, which is that McConaughey movie when he was like a poet, and that was weird, but like, was, all right, Matthew McConaughey. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which obviously a ton of people have loved. Mm-hmm. Palm Springs, fantastic movie. I will stand by that movie until I die. And yep. fucking Parasite. Yeah. Like. They're coming. They're coming at A24's head, right? Like they're they're making a shot at the crown. And I know you're the A24 homer over here, but like, no, even there's, there's a lot of movies that I saw that you didn't list. Like Monos was incredible. Uh, right. Bong, Bong Joon Ho's Memories of Murder, which he did before yeah. Parasite, was amazing. Um, Possessor, which was Cronenberg's son's movie, Brandon Cronenberg. I haven't um, seen that. That movie was fucking wild. Very similar to the beginning of Titan. It's yeah. just insanely uh. violent. Um, she uh-huh. dies tomorrow, which I really liked. Um, in the Earth, I saw with Ben Wheatley. I freaking hated that film. I'm sorry, that's not ben the Wheatley. that's not the ben, Brendan Fraser one where he goes to the center of the Earth. <laughs> no, not oh, that that's one. a different movie. <laughs> this one takes place during COVID. Like they're wearing masks. And oh no, about COVID. that wasn't Oof. even the worst part. Uh, the stuff that came after it because it's like this weird like sci-fi horror movie but oh terrible movie that's the Get one that neon movie that i don't like but everything else they've been nailing so i'm very excited to see where they go in the future I, we're, we might have to do a a24 versus neon month mm. here pretty soon if they keep putting out some heat yeah that'd be fun um god it's really they're just they're i what made me realize it was i had watched pig earlier this year and then like portrait of a lady on fire i had seen in 2020 Mm -hmm. and then when i saw titan finally i was like neon i feel like i'm seeing that everywhere they have a good opening uh sequence in their film yeah it's a a pretty light flickers on um and i was like i feel like i've seen that everywhere recently 
Yeah. And then I look up their the shit they've been doing, and I'm like, oh, that's because they are everywhere. This yeah. is they're coming. They're coming. They're they're cornering a market here. Like they are making a name for themselves. No, they're it's smart. Awesome. Because these festival films probably don't get that many bids, especially the smaller like indie ones and the mm-hmm. art house ones, not the mainstream ones. And yeah, they're kind of just snagging them and doing a great job of it. It was they're they're fantastic. Um, a little bit of uh, we've we've been doing a pretty good job, I think, at the start of this pod with uh, a little smaller movie talk. We're giving the indies their due. So let's switch it up and let's talk about two franchises real quick before we move on. Uh, Eternals. Wait, two franchises. Yeah, I got some. Uh, look at the look at the bottom bullet. Um, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's one I can't wait to get to. But first, uh, Eternals. Um, now, I know you have some thoughts. Mm-hmm. My thoughts are less aggressive than yours, and I was thinking about it more recently, and I really I didn't hate it. Um, and I honestly, um, I lean a little bit more towards like than dislike. It's more I nothing it. It is not the worst Marvel movie. It is Thor: The Dark World. Is I think Dark so World is worse. worse. Yeah. The I think so. Before we okay, well I, let, before let's do this. What do you what do you not like about it? Let's do this game. Well, no, here's the thing. The reason I, I hate it so much is because okay. it could have been so good. I think that's what like. Like, mm-hmm. Dark World, when watching it, you're like, oh, this is a bad movie, like, all the way through. But this movie had those moments where I was like, oh, it's almost there. Like, this could have been great. And then it just it gets bogged down. Like, the way I've been describing it is that I think Chloe's out. I think she originally, like, wanted to do this movie and pitched it to Marvel. And I think she probably had an amazing pitch. And she, she tried to do her story as best she could. But then I think Feige and Marvel came along and just stomped on it a bunch of times. And it just became this weird, awkward mesh of, like, what... What Zao wants to do, or what Feige wants to do, and it just did not work. Um, yeah, I can see that. Um, I think I went into it, obviously knowing it was a Chloe Zhao movie and being excited for that, but I also knew it was going to have to adhere to these Marvel rules. So yeah. I didn't put a ton of stock into seeing a Chloe Zhao movie, I was more thinking of it as a Marvel movie where Chloe Zhao got to point the camera at a sunset once in a while. Like, that was my literal... After seeing the trailer, that was my literal thought of what it was going to be. And I had a blast with it. I had some, I had some fun with it. Like, really, there's some funny moments. Um, there's some really good action directing. Chloe Zhao was a really good action director in that movie. The Angelina Jolie shit was so cool. Uh, oh shut up um <laughs> i i freaking hated the the deviants i thought the most pointless like boring character or monsters or whatever they were like you could have taken them out and the movie still would have been the same the deviants were just such like a distraction and they were only there for the action scenes is like, that they, is they this... had a mission the whole time and then the deviants came along and there was like oh fighting scene we'll do a fighting scene for 10 minutes and then well their initial the their initial mission was about the deviants but also yeah. is this is this your first marvel movie this is, is this no your i first understand but they they set it up in the beginning where it's going to be something different like they had these intimate moments throughout and then it just it goes back and forth and i don't know it was just that that back and forth was just uh, it was too much but that's not my main gripe with it i'll go to my main gripe i thought the first two acts so like uh, uh like half of the movie and a little bit more were just the most boring shit ever like this it was just that first two acts was just building and grabbing the whole roster all together and just like bundling it all up. And then 
the last third was just like a little cool fight scene which i, I liked but the whole move building up and like getting them all together was just it was so boring to me like i didn't care and i think i would have cared more if we spent more time with them but obviously we couldn't and i think what dune did right is we did spend the perfect amount of time with each character and this movie it's just it was not possible this would have worked so much better as a disney plus miniseries if we had like 10 episodes and we focused like one character one episode and the last three were just like all of them together it would have worked so much better okay well i don't want i don't want everything to be a miniseries i want movie theater but a movie but... that has 10 new characters introduced into this world i think it needs to have a miniseries i think that they thought this would go well because they saw infinity war and endgame and were like oh we did it with all these characters and didn't really think about how they spent time introducing each one but um I mean, yeah, it's, but dude, that's any origin story. Like I said, is this your first Marvel movie? Like, that's what happens. No, but still, I don't know. It was it was so boring. The pacing was all over the place. I think the characters didn't have any chemistry with each other. There was, like, zero development with them. I think they had oh, pairs. Oh, I don't agree with that. I think they had pairs where, like, two of the characters were really good. Like, um, uh, Superman, I forget his name. Um, the Superman uh, ripoff and uh, the main lady they had like a good connection and i'm forgetting all their names but the guy who can control people's minds and the flash ripoff they had a good connection like there's all these little pairs that had connections but when they all came together it just did not work um i thought brian tyree henry was great i'll shout him out i thought yeah and i thought the comedy was great but it was placed at such bad timings like it was all these serious scenes that were happening and then they just intermitted it with this comedy and just broke the whole scene and all the i tension. swear to god it's your first marvel movie it is it has to be right like this is this is every marvel movie this isn't new yes but it didn't work for this film at all like the other ones you set up that basis right in the beginning and it goes flows perfectly but this one you have all these like intimate scenes that chloe zhao is like or zhao's known for and they're really great and then it just it takes you out of it by like shoving the marvel shit back in your face <laughs> that's that's on the brand that's the brand mm, no i don't think so Okay, well, you're just... A Marvel movie has those Marvel quirks throughout the entire thing. It doesn't get as serious as Zhao and intimate as Zhao did. I think you're in, in denial. Um, so... Also, the time jumps I hated. It was so messy and disorganized. Like, you could tell there were bits and pieces just, like, taken out of it. Ugh. Okay. Um, I think this movie was so disliked by critics um, because they were similar to you thinking it was going to be a Chloe Zhao film. Like, they were, like, amped up. Like, we're finally going to get, like, the fucking art house Marvel movie that we want. And then it wasn't that. It was just a pretty basic cut-by-the-numbers Marvel movie shot pretty well by Chloe Zhao. Like, there was real good shot composition in that in that movie. I honestly did not think... The cinematography was good, especially in the last scene. I love the last scene with the sunset and um, well, like the I'm final just... battle. But right. they, they muted all the colors. We talked about this. They just desaturated I'm, all the colors so much, and that took out the cinematography. I was like, oh, this is so gross. Well, I'm not talking about, like, the color scheme. I'm talking about literally just, like, the framing of everything, you know? I was like, that looked yeah. good. And that's what you can expect. I was – I did say this to you. I was pissed because Chloe Zhao clearly went into it, like, planning to make a more, like, usually gold-tinted – I feel like she was going for and a lot of stuff to like really play up like the perfectness of these characters 
um, especially the Superman ripoff, as you so fondly call him. <laughs> and um, that obviously got tote. And, and they really they left that in some of the trailers, and I was like, oh shit, we're getting a colorful Marvel movie. And mm-hmm. then I go, and it's completely grayscaled, Ugh. and it at points it almost looks black and white. And I was like, ah, oh, this is this is the first yeah. time I've truly been upset about this in a Marvel movie, like. That's what I mean. Like it had all these elements where it could have been so great, and it was just bogged down. Right, and that's why the reviews are so bad, though. I don't think anybody actually thinks this movie is worse than like Thor: The Dark World or Iron Man Two. Which, granted, I don't actually hate Iron Man Two that much. Yeah, but I think are. it's worse than movie. I think it's worse than this movie. It's more fun. Yeah, I do think critics are definitely worse. like me, just frustrated with this movie because it, yeah. it's almost there, but it's just uh, it's bogged down so much and messy and disorganized. Uh. Well, know. it made $71 million, so I don't think anybody's going to fucking care. Um, it's a Marvel movie. It's a Marvel movie, baby. Movie theaters are back for Marvel movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do uh, think it would have made more if the reception was better. Yeah, probably. Um, Vin Diesel and The Rock are going to make up, right? Are they? <laughs> Fast and Furious talk, baby. Is this my, our first time doing it on the pod? Uh, if- no, we've talked about it before. We talked about Fast 9. I think we should make every movie about Fast and every podcast about Fast and Okay, so you read what Vin Diesel said, right? Um, I am actually going to verbatim and in an impression do Okay, it. yeah, say it um, first and then we'll, we'll talk about how insane this message is. Possibly the greatest Instagram post of all time. I just, I love how they like air out all their beef on Instagram. Like Tyrese, when the, when the F9 stuff was going on, Tyrese was like, we don't want you back if you don't want to be a part of this family. They're trying oh, to guilt each other. It's great. Right. Trying to get the fans yeah. on their side. Hang on, okay, yeah, let, let's hear it. Let me get, I gotta like, I need like a trigger word to get into the impression. <coughs> uh, family. Family. Brian. Brian. All right. My little brother Dwayne. The time has come. The world awaits the finale of Fast 10. As you know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. <laughs> there is not a holiday that goes by. But they and you don't send well wishes. But the time has come. Wait, that got out of it for a second. My bread. <laughs> All right. Legacy awaits. I told you years ago that I was going to fulfill my promise to Pablo. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe he calls Paul Walker Pablo. <laughs> we can get into that again. Um, hang on, I got to get back into it. Uh, the street always wins. All right. I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the finale that is 10. I'd say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. You have a very important role to play. He needs a comma there. Hobbs cannot be played by any other. I hope that you rise to the occasion to fulfill your destiny. (laughs) It almost sounds like he's threatening the rock. You need to come back. Oh my god, I love it. And I agree, The Rock does need to come back, and he does need to fulfill his destiny. And although it is a stupid-ass movie, Hobbs cannot be played by any other. Do you think that uh, was like a threat? Like, we'll replace you if you don't come back. It, it might be, but also I think it's him like being like, we want that we need the character in it, but it can't be played by anyone else. Like, I think that's a genuine... Yeah, I think right I think he was saying that, but he just said it in such like a condescending way. It was like, ugh. Come on, um, man. Is like, it smart? Pablo? What? Yeah. Has anyone ever called Paul Walker Pablo? Uh, Vin Diesel. Um, <laughs> it's. I will say, though, 
Um, and this is one thing I do love about the Fast movies is that they buy into this family thing. Like they really do. Like they they consider themselves a family. And I'm sure Diesel, they are. Yeah, I mean Vin Diesel walked made Paul nine Walker's daughter. Yeah. Vin Diesel walked Paul Walker's daughter down the aisle a few weeks ago. Like yeah. this is something they genuinely care about. And so I think when Dwayne Johnson was like he didn't take it as seriously as I think everybody else there wanted him to, mm-hmm. which you know, it's a Fast and Furious movie. Of course he's not gonna take it very seriously. But at the same time, like this was a career changer for everybody involved, and especially for Paul Walker, I think it really did a big boost for him. And because, and Paul Walker's death, I think brought them together so much that seeing like Dwayne Johnson like kind of not take it seriously and kind of also put it down at times like really rubbed everybody the wrong way. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, um, I hope he comes down. back. No, he needs to come back, and I think he will. I don't know if it's because of this message, but I think he will come back. Um, apparently, they had been close to making up before this, and I think Vin Diesel thought like this public thing would help push the uh, nail the nail in the coffin. Or push well, I think edge. now fans are going to be like taunting the rock more. <laughs> I, I, I tried to push put put the nail in the coffin and push it over the edge at the same time. Um, not no, smart. Think, I, what? I think fans are going to be more like on Vin Diesel's side now. Going to be like commenting on the Rock's post, right. like, "You got to join. You got to come back. You got to come back." Um, I think it's going to work. I have two more questions on this, and then we can uh, get to our break. Um, was it smart starting with my little brother, dude? Call yeah. it Dwayne, my little brother. And Dwayne's taller than him, right? Dwayne is bigger. I don't know how much taller. I don't think Dwayne Johnson's actually that tall. Um, Still, he's he's at least bigger. He, he is taller than average, but I don't think he is actually a giant. Um, I believe he is about six foot two. Also, which is tall, age difference is Vin technically older. Vin is older. Oh, Dwayne is six foot five. I am wrong on that. Yeah, Jesus. he's a big dude. Um, well, I thought he was like my height. Vin Diesel is six feet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But Vin is older by about three years, so I think that's why he went with Little Brother, maybe? Well, I, I think that, but also I think he did it because Dwayne is also kind of new, to, not new-ish to the Fast and Furious family. And so he's he, been he's, an actor less, less of time, I don't know, but he's done more movies. Yeah, but I think, I think he's more focusing on the Fast and Furious aspect of it. That he's yeah. just he's kind of new into, this, into the family, I guess. He's like a new member, so he's like a well, little brother almost. Yeah. He's done four movies, so sure. Yeah, but he wasn't there in the beginning. He's not an OG, you know. He wasn't part of like the OG family. He joined late, so that's why I think he's saying like little brother. Um, Vin is Vin's like the dad of the family, you know. Yes, um, Vin's next two Instagram posts after that. Wait, did um, the Rock what? ever respond? I don't know if he has publicly yet. Um, if not. he did privately, it was probably like, what? What the hell was that? Um, <laughs> He is running for, he's he's promoting the People's Choice Awards F nine for movie of twenty twenty one and himself for male movie star of twenty twenty one. I say give it to him. Yeah, for I sure. Him. I love Vin Diesel. I want him to do everything ever. I want oh, him to also, be in every movie. In the message, Vin Diesel also said that Fast Ten is going to be the last one. I don't. That's what was my second question. Was is F ten the finale? I don't buy that. Um, I think it might be a conclusion. Maybe it's like a bunch of the characters and they might like revamp it or do something different with the next one. But they're, they're going to make more. These things are making so much money. Like there's no way it. they're going to stop. 
Are we gonna do like in phase one of the Fast and Furious cinematic universe? It's gonna be like the MCU. Like Endgame is like the are final, we... and now we're going into another phase. Are we ending phase one? <laughs> oh, I hope so. Um, oh, I can't man, wait for phase two, man. I can't either. What the fuck is gonna happen? Different planets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, alien drag races in spaceships. Jurassic I want Park, it. Park, man. Oh, Jurassic Dinosaurs dude, are coming. Did... He also wants to do a musical Fast and Furious. Yeah, they're going to get weird with this this new phase. Dude, try Vin, Diesel's got new some, Vin Diesel's got some pipes. He put out a pop song a few years ago. Hey, The Rock <laughs> just put out a rap song, or rap verse. So He did. Um, <laughs> that was gonna, something. We're going to skip over that, actually. I don't want to talk about that ever. No. Um, I just would like to pretend that imagine, did not happen. Imagine the Rock's response to Vin as he makes another rap song uh, or rap verse. I Yo, hear ben. that song like three times a day <laughs> on TikTok, and it drives me up the wall. Um, I yeah, that's that's all I got on Fast. Yeah, I mean it's entertaining. I it love is it. entertaining. I could, I will. I've said this, and I will stand by this. I will, if they made 20 movies, I will see them all, and I will be there on opening night with a big-ass happy grin on my face, and I will get my popcorn and my M&Ms and my pib, and I will fucking go to town. Hell yeah. All right. You ready for the break time? Then we can get into no country for old men? Yes, sir. All right. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hey everybody, it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1. And they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip-hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop it's all over the place uh it's a great way to discover new music i've been following them and working with them for quite some time they also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com they just put out an issue with osar and paris price uh, they have great merch over there it's all great looking stuff um definitely check them out give the twitter a follow give the page um look it's great stuff you're not going to be disappointed good way to discover music let's get back to the movie and we are back and it is time to talk about no country for old men the selection of the week chosen by the people are you uh do you want to tell us a little bit what it's about and who's in it and who directed it i guess all right <laughs> i'm an old man do your fucking job um <laughs> yeah, so right. no country, no country for old men. Oh, the infamous Cohen brother film. Infamous. <laughs> Wildly popular. crazy with this one. Um, is about. Oh, I'll just read the IMDb. Violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than two million dollars in cash near the Rio Grande. I did not know it was two million dollars in that suitcase. They say it multiple times in the movie. Keep going. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, written by the Coen brothers, obviously. Um, it was shot by the amazing Roger Deakins. Um, incredible in this movie. 
Uh, top cast, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, and Woody Harrelson. Stacked cast. Very. Um, I mean, in terms of critical response, everyone fucking loved this movie. I don't think there's a lot of negatives to say. I mean, it won Best Picture. What more do I need to do on this? I mean, it won Best Picture... One actor in supporting role for Javier Bardem. Uh, the Coen brothers got an, a directing Oscar, and it got the adapted screenplay Oscar. I mean, and Deacons was nominated for cinematography. I think he should have won that, but whatever. Um, but yeah, he had a long streak where he just did not win anything. It was, oh, well, the cinematography one uh, went to There Will Be 1917. Blood. Oh, yeah. 1917? What are you talking about? No, that was about? Roger Deacons' first one. And Okay. Roger Deakins was nominated twice this year. What? And he didn't win either of them. The other one for... In 2008. I meant the year that we're doing right now. Oh, oh, okay. We're in 2008 right now. Um, The other one was the assassination of Jesse James. Right, yeah. I did not... Jesus Christ. Shooting those two movies in... Oh, that is is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're great movies, but good Lord. That is some fucking That's why he's the GOAT. He, he really is. I love some Roger Deakins. Ooh, he's so good. Mm-hmm. I always love a cinematography shout, too. I love, you know me, I was... Shout out. <laughs> shout out the Roger Deakins podcast, too, because his podcast is incredible. Oh, he brings all these famous cinematographers, directors, actors. He just brings everyone on. They just talk about the movies they make and go super in-depth into them. And it's, it's very fascinating. I have not listened to that, actually. Um, it's a good thing he wasn't nominated for anything last year, though, because he wouldn't have... Uh... He wouldn't have won against Mank. <laughs> Fucking sure. love Mank. I uh, can't wait to do the Mank pod. I might do that one by myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just talk about Mank for two hours. Um, I love this movie. And so, real quick, before we get into anything, I the reason I love this movie so much, I think... This movie came out in 2007, so I was what? I was probably about... Mm, eight or nine and you're what nine or ten in 2007 somewhere around that Mm -hmm. um so obviously i didn't see this in theaters um i don't think my parents were taking me to many r-rated movies um the time when i got super into movies and just started watching them religiously was i think around 2015 2016 and this was one of the first ones I watched because I remember it used to be always on Netflix and I watched it like on my iPad at like three in the morning under my covers because I was like terrified I did that my too. parents coming in. And I did that too. I, this is one of the first movies I can remember being like, oh, holy shit, this is what you can do with movies? Like I was like mm. literally like I, it blew my mind because I, I was like, there's no music. It's slow paced but you're on the edge yeah. of your seat the entire time they're not explaining anything to me i watched the movie the first time and had no clue what happened i was like what is going what just happened i, I mm-hmm. they don't explain it and they don't hold your hand and that's what we were talking about a, a few weeks ago like movies where they don't hold your hand and tell you everything are good it's like uh, the opposite of a marvel movie the opposite of like star wars with the prequels you don't need to know fucking everything like Mm-hmm. Shit happens because it happens. Like that's, let's buckle in and watch Javier Bardem put an air pump through somebody's head. Like, come on. <laughs> um, and it, it really changed the way I thought about movies. I think, and I owe a lot to that. 
And so I'm probably a little biased, but every time I rewatch it, I'm just I'm just as sucked in as I was that first time. And I think it's a classic yeah. and an iconic movie. It's definitely an iconic movie. But mm. Jacob doesn't like it anymore, and he hates it, so he's going to tell you why. Not true. <laughs> no, it's just the first time I saw it was like same as you. Like I was, I was definitely a teenager, a lot younger, um, watching it under my covers probably. Um, and I loved it. I remember being amazed by it. Like, what the fuck did I just watch? Right. This was incredible. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it was was so different and just so like the opposite of what everything else was at the time. That's like Um, in the middle of the, like Marvel, uh, you know, probably saw it two or three years after Avengers and Age of Ultron had come out. And like, so it's like the kind of the exact opposite of everything that was coming out around that time, or at least the big stuff that we were aware of that was coming out at the time. And it was just, yeah. And I had no I and then after that I remember I was looking for movies like that. I was just like, where are they? Like I, I need more stuff like this that has actual creative, really interesting storytelling. Um sorry, totally cut you off. Alright, keep going. <laughs> no, yeah, but then this time around the first half I think is a masterpiece. And the tension, the pacing, everything about it's a masterpiece. The second half this time watching it, I don't know. The, the pacing got super slow. Everything changes. The story doesn't develop. And yes, I know you're going to say this is the point of all this. I know. Um, I definitely wanted more conclusion for all the characters. But, and I understand that that's the whole point. They're trying to say that real life doesn't offer any answers. Um, all, this is, it's a cruel movie. And I think part of it is just me being so frustrated with the ending. Because I, I think this... I think I remembered it having a more satisfying conclusion when I first watched it. And just seeing it this time, just like it really frustrated me how like open-ended and empty it is at the end. Um, um, yeah. But I, I'm not, I'm not shitting on it. It's just, I'm just, I don't know. I, I said so much frustration while watching it. It's just like, it makes you think about it a lot, which I love about it. Um, but I don't know that second half, it didn't grip me as much as the first did. So what's what do you think is that turnaround point like when he gets to Mexico? Is that where you're out? Um, yeah, about when like Woody Harrelson is introduced. About there, that's kind of when it takes that turn. That is one of the weirdest part. Like, who is this random biz? Like, that's that's my biggest thing. Is like we were talking about how nothing ex- is explained. I do because I think I grew up when the prequels were coming out and shit like that. Like, and Harry Potter and everything has such a big backstory all the time, you know, and Marvel and everything like that. I have a constant need to, like, have these questions answered. Like, that random, like, businessman that, like, hires Woody Harrelson, yeah. I still, I've seen this movie probably ten times. I have no idea what his connection to the story is. Do you know? Yeah. No, it, it's very pointless, I feel like. And that's where I think it loses me, because it, it adds, like, these new characters in, and then they're just gone immediately. And then it kind of just, like, it fades out almost. I need to read the book. I think. Yeah, it's also based on the book, and I also heard it's very, very accurate to the book, too. So the book doesn't give you anything, either. I don't know if it goes more in-depth, but I I heard the movie is very accurate towards the book. Well, I I was just thinking, like, does it... it, it, I I don't know if it's, like, a Dune situation where it gives you, like, all the main plot points, but doesn't go into, like, the lore or in-depth of any of the characters, but... What I was more thinking of was, did they, like, think they could have found a way to work it in? But they were like, let's cut it and keep the main plots points from the book, but like, and keep the th- same themes and messages, but like, just do this to make it a little bit more confusing and help nail the point home. Because I feel like the point 
Mm. If it's accurate in the book, the point is uh, life doesn't fucking matter, and there is no real such. There's no such thing as a as a as an as a solid ending. You know. The, the this they're saying it doesn't matter, but it that it doesn't give you the answers that you want. I I don't well maybe doesn't matter is the wrong way to phrase it. I think it's more. I know what you mean though. It's very like nihilist. Thing, way of thinking. Things that happen to individual people aren't as significant as they seem. Mm. You know, like yeah. for Llewellyn, this is this bit, and Javier Bardem, this is this big battle, intellectual battle between the two of them. But at the end of the day, Tommy Lee Jones is still drinking his fucking coffee in the morning, going to work. Like it doesn't matter. This is no country for old yeah, men. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and he like, and they leave all this destruction in their wake too. But like, in hindsight, it doesn't affect that many people. Like four people that we follow end up dead. But the other people that randomly die, who cares about them? They don't have anything to do with this story. They don't have anything to do with anybody's lives, you know? Yeah. It, it's these little things that we think are super important really aren't, maybe, is, is, is I think what I get from it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's, Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Maybe that's me being super cynical, and maybe that's both of us being super cynical. I think it... Well, this is a very cynical movie. It is. It could also be something where I think maybe everybody gets uh, a little bit of a different message from it. I, I could totally see that mm-hmm. being a situation. Well, yeah, because the, especially the second half and the ending, it just makes you think about everything right. you've just watched because it just ends. You're just like, wait a second. How does this all fit together? Right. The first time I watched it, I think I was, I was very frustrated by it, but I loved it. And now I just love it. Like, I just love that ending because like, okay. Like I do it, love Tommy Lee Jones's last, like you little see all this, bloodshed in these small towns getting just having this chaos wreaked and drug dealers are just running through the streets running out of a motel shooting uzis into the ground and hopping in the beds of trucks and then like a housewife gets murdered and then tommy lee jones tells a story about a dream he has where he sees his dad on a horse and he blows a trumpet and then he wakes up and he says and then i wake up and then there's a five-second pause, and then it cuts to black, and it's over. And I'm just like, holy shit. This was the greatest movie I've ever watched. Like, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, well, see, when that when it cut to black, at least this time watching it, I was just frustrated. Right. I was like, ugh. I didn't think this is the greatest movie ever, but it just made me think about just, like, everything I just watched and just, I don't know, piecing everything together. But it's it's a cruel movie. It, it is. It really kind of throws you in like this super intense, um, the all these super intense scene with Bardem and Brolin the whole first half, and they are fucking intense, man. You cannot look away. Um, and also, the characters I feel like are so smart. Like it doesn't treat the audience like a, a dumb person. Right. Everything they do is very smart and like planned out. It, it's perfect. And they're not. They don't. And they don't like. I like how they don't say out loud what they're doing, you know, like yeah, you like like especially when Brolin goes back out to the desert for the second time, you really don't know exactly why he's going back out until he gets back out there. I think his like whole plan in the motel, like they could have given him like a fucking dog, and he could have been like, and now I need the tent poles so I could pull the briefcase out of the other side, you know, mm-hmm. like. Or he could have just explain, been explaining, like, why he needed it to move it from one room to the other through the air. Like, but he did yeah. They don't. They're just like, you're just watching it. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it'll click, oh, like, oh, shit. Like, 
it's great yeah, like why do you close the curtains this way mm. like, why do you do this and yeah everything gets but it's, yeah, everything gets explained for that like later on i feel like a little bit and it's it's satisfying to watch but yeah then the second half comes and he brolin freaking dies off screen and it's so oh, frustrating that is a really frustrating part of the movie oh I, I think, hate that i think the first time i watched it I didn't even really notice that because he's also not only does he die off screen when they show him he's face down on the ground. Yeah. And I think I never it didn't even register the first time I watched it, and then I'm like, wait, but what happened to Llewellyn? <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, did I call him Llewellyn Davis earlier in this podcast? I feel like I did that. It's Llewellyn Moss. If I did that. Llewellyn, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Llewellyn Davis is another. Llewellyn Davis. Llewellyn Davis is another. Uh, Cohen Brothers movie, right? Inside the Mind of Llewellyn Davis. It's Lewin, I think. It's like Lewin Davis. And it's Llewellyn. Th- oh, it's Llewellyn. I'm hundred percent sure about this because I've always the, thought it, it okay. was connected to No Country for Old Men for some reason. I've been pronouncing it wrong then. It's but yeah. It's Inside Llewellyn Davis. Spelled the same way. L L E W I N. Spelled the same okay. way as Llewellyn. Yeah. That's my favorite Cohen Brothers movie. I need to watch it. Um, I've always I like my first thought. I was like, that's the guy from No Country. Um. Okay, <laughs> so speaking of the brutality of this movie, the f- and I think I th- I really think this every time I watch it, um, you I they throw you into this movie and you have no idea what's going on. Javier Bardem mm-hmm. gets arrested and you're like, what? Isn't he the bad guy? Why is he going to jail? And then all of a sudden, I'm ninety nine percent sure he actually straight up kills a man on screen. Right, like it, uh, policeman. Yes. It looks like he, a guy murder gets murdered. Like it, oh, he's totally dead. Yeah, I, I bet, like in he real on the death. like in real life, I think that actor died. I am. Uh, yeah, Bardem's face when he's strangling him. Oh my it's god, it's the most. That's some serious acting right there. It's the Ooh. most realistic on-screen kill I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so well done. And the, just the str- you can see his struggle of just trying to like push him down and pull him down. And like, oh. the legs kicking, and then. He goes to the bathroom and he washes like the blood off of where the cuffs were, and then you mm-hmm. and then the next cut isn't him like walking out or anything. It's just the boot scuffs on the ground, like yeah. it's a bone chilling scene, and I that's like I was like oh shit we are in for it. The Coen brothers are geniuses <laughs> like. Also, oh. Bardem is a crazy oh. good actor. Well, I, I I was waiting because I didn't know when we were gonna do Bardem. Uh, is this the most deserved Oscar ever? Like, I mean, really, it is. Not to take away from his performance, but oh my god, that haircut is fucking it's creepy. Terrifying. It's I got a, a great st- trivia on that. Do we want to do that? Sure. Um, hang on, hair. Okay. So, directors Joel and Ethan Cohen used a photo of a brothel patron taken in 1979 oh. as a model for Anton Sugar's hairstyle. When he first wow. saw when he first saw his haircut, Javier Bardem said, "Oh no, now I won't get laid for the next two months." <laughs> the Coens responded by happily high fiving each other. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, that haircut is disgusting. Oh my it's god, terrifying, freaky. Um, so we're not going anywhere near <laughs> that guy with that haircut. For uh, 2008 Best Actor in a Supporting Role, it was Casey Affleck for the assassination of Jesse James. Mm-hmm. really good role Hal yep. Holbrook for Into the Wild I like that movie uh, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman for Charlie Wilson's War Tom Wilkinson for Michael Clayton and Javier Bardem and I mean you got it Casey Affleck yeah, did great cake. Philip Seymour Hoffman he's never not thrown heat um, yeah for a second 
I, I got my years mixed up for a second, and I thought um, he was going up against. Uh, oh shit! What's his name? Oh, this is a terrible mind blank. This is a, oh Jesus. For supporting? Yeah, for supporting. Real famous. Um, oh God, very well. Don't give me more than that. Very. <laughs> I, I don't want I want to get it I I want to be the one to get it Hang on I'm I I'm DBing it right now and I hate myself for it Um, because this I know that I love this actor Christoph Waltz God damn it I thought it movie? I thought it was against the Glorious Bastards Oh okay. but that's the next year Okay yeah Ugh. I mean yeah Bardem and also also Christoph Waltz so. got that Oscar so <laughs> I was really wrong <laughs> Um. God, really good. Really, it's just insane. Um, so now that you've rewatched it, do you think it should have beaten There Will Be Blood in the Oscar? <sighs> and we'll and we're gonna redo this after we watch. I assume we will be watching There Will Be Blood. I I, I can't see that. Yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go too much into it without we watching There Will Be Blood, but. Well, no, this is just before we watch it. This is before we watch it. Yeah, yeah. I do think that There Will Be Blood should have been the winner. Okay, so I don't see why this will change uh, after we watch it. I I watched There Will Be Blood more recently than you, but it was a couple months ago. I I don't know. I watched it a couple months ago, too. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I don't know, dude. It's... To me, this ending is just... It's so frustrating to me while There Will Be Blood ending is so satisfying. That one kind of frustrates me, too. It is, but in a different way. I feel like we still get like a satisfying character development at the end. Like we don't need to see anymore. Hmm. I don't know. In a way where this just leaves so many questions. Yeah, but this ends with a fantastic Tommy Lee Jones monologue. And then I woke Yeah, up. not saying it's bad, but I just think the full story of There Will Be Blood is perfectly um, constructed. Um... Who, Melissa has a little bit of open ends here and there. Who's the best actor out of the main four in this? Who's the best in this movie? In this movie? Yeah. Um, uh, it's tough because I love Brolin. I think he does a great job with this. Um, Tommy Lee Jones does his thing. I don't know if I can give him best actor out of these. I think I gotta go Bardem. Harrelson's role is way too small for even to be considered. He's good at I love. He's good, but yeah. I, f- I feel like Woody Harrelson just you're drawn to him whenever he's in a scene. Um, yeah, but yeah, Bardem I think is the obvious winner here. Everybody, no, so Woody Harrelson and Javier Bardem have a moment where they're kind of going toe to toe against each other on screen. Uh, Josh Brolin doesn't really get a face off with Bardem, do they? They don't. They never speak on screen. Yeah. Well, they don't speak, but they have a face off in the street. I just mean they don't speak to each other. And Tommy Lee Jones no, doesn't yeah. speak to Bardem either. Well, they, they do speak on the phone. But they do it. speak on the phone, but, man. And, oh, Brolin speaks to him on the phone, too, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, Javier Bardem got his Oscar. I'll give Brolin my, my award, my, the Bo Allen <laughs> Best Actor of the Movie Award. Because he's, it's, in a movie where he doesn't, say very much and you're following him and there's no music and 
the only thing there yeah, the is no music just makes it even like more like terrifying creepy. well the i think the only thing there is to keep your eyes on the screen for a lot of it is brolin's performance yeah, you're not distracted by anything right. else. Right, like... You're not like, oh, this is a movie. You're just, like, immediately just delved into his performance. But even if you were, if you, you know, even if you did realize, like, oh, this is a movie, I'm watching a, a character right now, it, it, it's it's still good enough to keep your attention there. Like, you could easily, like, just get... Something could fl- flutter by, especially with time span, time atten- like, attention spans now, and mm-hmm. you're, you're on to something else. I watched this while... Monday Night Football was going on, and there was, like, a game-winning field, like, record-setting field goal, and I didn't change anything. I found all that out after I watched the movie. I was just like, this is this is where I am. Like, I am fully absorbed to this. I also think, well, obviously, everything that we've mentioned so far has to do with that. But also, shout-out to Deacons for just incredible yeah. movement and cinematography. It was done so well and so precise that it just keeps you in the whole time. There's no shot where, like, you question it for a second or, like, oh, this is a movie like we're just talking about. Everything is just perfectly designed. The lighting is incredible in every scene. The movement is so purposeful. Like, it, it's oh, it's incredible. Um, Who gets the – who do you think gets it, like, who has the worst break in this movie? Who gets it the worst? Like, who's the most unlucky? Oh, in terms of characters? Yeah. My, nomi- uh, my nominees are the first guy Bardem kills. Like, that guy was just minding his own business. Uh, uh, the policeman? Yeah, no, not, well, not the policeman. Not the policeman. That guy had to die for Bardem to escape. Um, the guy he pulls over, I mean, sorry. The first guy that he kills with his little air pistol thing. Oh, right. Um, Carla Jean Moss, obviously, was... I love the sound it makes, the, the air pump. Yeah. Um, and then Carla Jean Moss gets it bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of like, the big deaths are off screen. Right, but, I mean, hers is off screen, but you see the blood go under the door, so, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um... I feel like those are the two my two nominees for worst luck. I think the policeman is just the worst. Ruthless to begin with. Well that guy's a fucking idiot. Yeah. He's not still. cuffed to anything. Watch him. This is back in the day, man. They didn't have many psychopaths doing that type of stuff. It was post nom. Psychopaths were doing this type of stuff all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? Fine. PTSD was rampant. People are going. Fine. Agent Orange had fried so many brains. We are we are all over the place in the, at this time period. Um, I mean, this guy could have been a hippie. You know, you got to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Just to keep that hippie in your line of sight. Um, I hated the mom. I got the cancer. Shut up. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're trying to she get was you. Annoying. We're trying to get you two million dollars. Yeah. Telling people where they're going to. Stephen Root played the man who hires Wells. The, the businessman. I didn't know that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, from Office Space. Office Space Barry. Yeah. I, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's the Office Space guy. Oh, man. I just, I, wow. Um, this is totally off topic and bringing in another pod. There's a rewatchables on, uh, no Catcher for Old Men, and they do it with Bill Hader, and Ooh. he's just just heaping praise on this movie. He loves it. 
And he said it was a big inspiration for Barry. That's been pretty cool. Pretty cool of him to have somebody who was in the movie play a pretty major character, you know, in, in Barry. Yeah, and I could totally see the inspiration and resemblance mm-hmm. too, especially with those intense scenes in Barry. Um, I have so many just major questions about this movie, like how. I think everyone does. I know. Like, did Bardem work for the cartel? Was he like a fixer for the cartel? I, I don't know if he worked for them, but I think he. What it means, I don't think he, I think he worked with them for a small amount of time just to get his way. Like he just wanted like inside information or intel or something. But what did he but want? It, we don't know. He wanted money, and he wanted the money for something. We know he we wanted know. the money. I, but I'm like, it feels like. The cartel is, like, feeding him this information. Is he the one who kills Llewellyn, or does the cartel just get him? I don't think we know. They don't say. It's so frustrating. I love it, though. Yeah. That sh- silencer on the shotgun, The fir- it took me... This is Phew. This is the first watch where I realized that was a shotgun. I thought it was some modified version of his little air pistol thing that they used to put yeah. down cows and, like... I was the sound design on that too. Oh Ooh. my god! So sad. It sounds like a space gun. Yeah, it's like electric. And then, um, so another thing I noticed uh, when Tommy Lee Jones is meeting with Llewellyn's wife, and he just randomly starts talking about like he's like, oh, and there's this little like air pistol type thing that shoots a bolt in the head of the animal and it pulls it right back out. The animal didn't know what hit him. And he, she's like, why'd you bring that up? He's like, I don't know. But he had just seen like the guy who had, who got the bolt in the head, you know, he had just seen that guy on the side of the road and they were like, there's no bullet, but there's no exit wound. And they're like, so you're telling me he dug that bullet out of his skull. Like he knew what it was, but he wasn't connecting. And like, Every like everybody's on the tail of each other, but Tommy Lee Jones is so far behind everyone that he's not even in the same area code. Again, this is the country for all the right, men. But he's also like right there, but he's not even close. Like it's it's a great little nod. I wonder how the Cohen brothers came up with the air pump weapon idea. I think it's in the book. Oh duh. <laughs> well I wonder how the author I forget the author's name. Um I wonder how he came up with that because it's such like a unique thing to use. As um, a weapon. They use it as a weapon in it too, the book and the movie. Mm, I did not know that. I think if I had to guess, I would say that the author, and I don't know who the author is. This is complete speculation. Maybe oh, it's a Cormac McCarthy novel. Oh my god. He, yeah, that's who it is. I knew it was really. Mm-hmm. Wow. He, oh, he was born in Rhode Island. Where did he grow up there? Maybe he grew. I th- I'm guessing he had some experience on the farm, on a farm of some sort, and had seen this mm. done before. It l- okay. looks like he's written. I mean, he's written. This isn't the only western he's ever written. No, he's written tons of westerns. <coughs> Sorry. Um, God, into the mic, man. Come on. I did not. I don't know. I don't. I think you did. Um, oh, he, yeah. I love the road by McCarthy. The road it's is classic. a great book. I had to read that in school for a film class. Yeah, actually, same. we had to read it for a film class, but we didn't watch it, and I haven't watched it what? yet. Yeah, I know. It was part of like our. We did like this is so off topic. This is for my English class, and we had to read it, and then we watched the movie in class. We read it for our film class because we were doing apocalypse stories. That was our first unit, and mm. we watched the pilot for The Walking Dead. 
and then we watched all of the old stand, the Stand miniseries, the Stephen King book, and we're reading The Road throughout that time. And I can't remember what else we watched. Um, he moved to Tennessee after he was born in Rhode Island when he was like okay. when he was like four years old. So he grew up in Knoxville, and then he also spent time in the Air Force in Alaska. So yeah, he's definitely been in some Western type areas. Makes sense. He moved to a shack with no heat and running water in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. That's sick. Yeah, I think that definitely gave him the the vibe for these Western books he's been making. Wait. Uh, a, 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 so James Adji, who's a, another writer, his childhood home was being demolished in Knoxville that year, and McCarthy used the site's bricks to fill fi- fire... to. Jesus Christ, what did I just do there? To build fireplaces inside his shack. That's crazy. Awesome. Love Cormac McCarthy. Um, I need to read this book. That was my first thought while I was watching this movie. I was like, I really need to read this book. The, the thing is, I know that when I read this book, I'm going to be just as frustrated with the ending. And it's going to piss me off even more. I, I feel so opposite to you because I absolutely love this ending. Um, and I want to... I, I also kind of wonder if there's more to that monologue. Like, I don't know how there could be more to it. Yeah, but I don't know. There's, I just love it. Um, I, the Coens and Westerns are just so fucking perfect. It feels like almost... And what's nice is because they, they turn, like especially this movie, they turn Westerns on their head from what we used to know them as. It f- they, they put a unique spin on it every time. Do they... Is everything they do a Western... It kind of feels like a... No. What, what, what would you say isn't? Inside, Llewellyn Davis is not a Western. That looks like it'll be, it'd be a Western. It is not. Eh, no, it's not a Western. It, just, it totally looks like it would be a Western. It's got some uh, musical numbers in it. What? Yeah. Oscar Isaac. Oh, he's a great singer. He sings in that? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, great movie. Um, I mean, Obra- I'd call Big Lebowski a Western. Sure. Uh, it's not fully a Western, though. Not like Old Country. Oh, I did not know that they're working on another movie together. Yeah, after Macbeth. The Zebra Striped yeah. Hearse. This mm-hmm. looks like a noir film. Maybe. Have you seen the poster for it? No, I have not. Look at it. Looks noir. Ballad of Buster Shrugs, definitely a Western. Hail Caesar... You think O Brothers are Western? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um, Hail Caesar, without a doubt a Western. True Grit, a Western. Bird After Reading gets a little western eh? Yeah, Inside Lewin Davis does have, like, its, its Western moments. So they all, they all do have that, like, Western, um, I don't know, thing to it. But, yeah, they definitely love these, like, slow, gritty, intense films. Um, Fargo is a western. It's a snowy For western, sure. but it's a western. For sure. I have not seen their rom com. Have you seen that rom com? No, Intolerable cruelty. A beautiful gold digger matches wits with a shrewd Beverly Hills divorce lawyer who is increasingly attracted to her. Mm, don't know. They've made a lot. Yeah, of for the most part. For the most part, yeah, they do stick with the western. I know, and I love it. We were talking about this. Um, I, I think I like westerns a lot more than you do, but 
It's really good. Um, so, in Fargo, you know the case that they use to carry the one million dollars? We just watched this yes. movie last week. Come on. Um, yes. They, it's the same case. Very nice. It's, it's, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really cool. What are we doing? What, what are you doing here? We're almost done. Focus, old, man. focus a little old. bit more. Focus a little bit more. We're almost there. <laughs> we can see the light. Um, all right. What's you? We've we've kind of we've done what you didn't like. We've talked about the frustrations. What what is your? We but but we also both love this movie and mm-hmm. it is very important to both of us. I think. Um, what's your yeah. what's what do you would you say is one of your favorite things about it? Yeah, you can just pick one if you have too many to figure out. I mean, yeah, it's tough to choose, but just the whole first half, I'm just in love with. So I, I love just figuring Not out the like the story, following the characters. But no, I'll choose one. One, I love the scene with Bardem and the gas station uh, manager. Guy That's a great choice with the coin toss. Um, that whole conversation is so intense because you really just have no idea what's about to happen. And the one of you can you can feel the fear on that guy's face, like oh my god. Well, one of the things that I particularly love about that scene is that you're terrified. The guy, the guy is freaked out. I don't think he's terrified or necessarily really fears feels fear because yeah, he's a little like not all on planet Earth. He's a little gone. He's an old guy and he doesn't know what this guy has been up to like we know that what he means is is if this if you call this wrong you're dead we know that because we've been right. watching javier bardem mercilessly kill all these people but he has no idea so you're like get it fucking right like get it right get it right get it right and he finally does and it's just oh it's a huge the biggest sigh of relief in the movie um oh yeah because you've just, just watched him out. kill all these random people just mm-hmm. um I think my favorite thing outside of Javier Bardem stuff, the Javier Bardem stuff is another was another moment for me where I was like, "Oh, you can write like you could write characters like this, like oh my god, wow!" Like because I had never I'd, just this character as a whole. Yeah, like that's not my favorite. I, that is that is that is probably my favorite. But I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna go a different way with it. Um, it, it was just. I just remember for me, like, I was like, he says he doesn't speak much during the movie, but through actions and movements, we can just tell he's this, like, fucking genius hitman who doesn't care about anything and also kind of enjoys killing. But sometimes he doesn't, like, when he kills that Mexican cartel guy but and he closes the shower curtain and looks away when he shoots him. But, like, he'd been staring people in the eyes and putting... You know what I'm talking about? In the motel yeah, room? Yeah, but I, I don't think it's because he didn't, like... You think he didn't him. want the blood I, spray? Yeah, I think he just didn't want blood on him, so he I, was close to I, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean that to be, like, didn't like killing. I just mean, like, I don't think he wanted to watch that guy fucking explode was part of it. Because there was no reason for him to look away. I guess, yeah. Um, But my... Yeah, that could be. My favorite, I think... The, th- the favorite thing that I will go f- with right now is just the little, and it's such a subtle choice to have Llewellyn go back out to give that guy water. Like, he, because he starts off being pretty confrontational to the dude, and he's like, he's like, I don't have any fucking agua. And he's like, 
Close the door. The Lobos are coming. So, you, wait, you think he went back to save the guy? He didn't go back to save him. He just went back to give him water so he wouldn't suffer. He's He is awake, and then he realizes, oh, shit, I need to give that guy water. What else? What, there was nothing back there left for it. I thought he was going to make sure he was dead. No. He, you don't think so? He was going to give... Why would he fill up a gallon bottle? Because he's gone to the desert. He was doing that uh, to give that guy water. Okay, yeah, yours does make more sense, yeah. I always thought it was because he was, wanted to kill the guy to make sure there was no survivors. Because he wakes up, and he's, like, staring at the ceiling, and then he gets up, and he yeah, goes... Yeah, but he, he doesn't say anything about it. No, yeah. I know, but that's what I mean, is it was such a subtle little character choice to be like, mm. this guy really does have good intentions, you know? Like yeah, he's got he, he's got greedy. He comes off as an asshole sometimes, and he is trying to do the right thing, um, and it ends up ta- taking everybody else down with him uh, in his like circle. But like that is just because when he first comes home with the money, he's not like super loving to his wife. Clearly, like, mm-hmm. but I I think that's just like the way he is i think he probably is pretty nice to her but like and he's he's kind of funny and joking with her in those scenes but the having him go back in the middle of the night to give this guy water so he 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 wasn't gonna save him because i think he also was like this guy's a fucking drug dealer i don't need to save this guy like i think he just didn't want him to die thirsty i thought it was a great character choice and that really struck me this time around yeah that makes more sense I thought it was awesome. He's a good guy. I really think it was just greed. That's that's the only main um, defect with his character. Um, I guess. Yeah, greed. He just he was just greedy. Well, another message: greed can ruin the best people. Money, mm-hmm. money corrupts. Um, do you have anything left on the movie, or can we get into what we're doing for the back half of November? Let's get into the back half. I mean, yeah. We, we both love this movie. It's frustrating. It's cruel, but it makes you think. And speaking of movies that makes you think, we're going into the back half. We're doing Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> we are. We did this month because we wanted to talk about the Coen Brothers. And when I was watching There Will Be Blood, um, I was thinking, and I saw the thing about this that losing No Country for Old Men. I was like, ooh, it would be fun to do a comparison. Uh, but well, well, the thing is, I think you mentioned this too. I always, as a kid, got no country, and there would be blood confused. I did too. Always, and I th- think it's because one, they were both up for the Oscar that year. They were both like very odd Western type movies. Um, I don't. They're both very similar and very mm-hmm. uh, in ways. Right. And so it was very easy to get them confused. Both have long names. Exactly, and but I, I was we were we kind of came up with the idea that like okay we can do we'll do two. Coen Brother movies and two PTA movies, and we can kind of have a little like versus battle type thing with two yeah. with two of the movies that people like the most from them and put them against each mm-hmm. other, and we can also put No Country and There Will Be Blood against each other, and thought that would be really interesting. So our four that we were going to be putting on next week, have you seen? You've seen the list. You're okay with this? Before I shoot this off into the world. Yeah, I've seen them all. All right. Well, okay. It's Hard Eight, Punch Drunk Love, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia. And I like all of those movies. I'm excited to watch them. 
Um, I like Paul Thomas Anderson and Licorice Pizza. That's another reason we're doing that. I've, reviews are starting mm-hmm. to come out, man. All good things. All good things. I, the thing is, every one of those first viewings, you never hear anything bad ever for any movie. <sighs> you did for Eternals. Um. <laughs> no. I, the first Eternal showing was great reviews. I heard bad stuff out of that. Not not from the critics, but from the, like the Twitter reactions and social media well, yeah, reactions. Of course, like no, but the the critics that have seen. But that was the that was when the embargo came. Mm, I don't know. You know, like any first reaction reviews that are like on social media before the embargo comes out are always positive. All right. Well, we'll figure that. We'll 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 hear more about it and be able to talk more about it um, as we get. But into yeah. The PTA either way. I'm, yeah. I don't think it's gonna be bad. No. So I'm hyped. Um. When it comes out Wednesday, November twenty fourth, which is the night before Thanksgiving. Oh. Yeah, it's I'm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go see Sneak it. Sneak away from family dinner. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go see it Wednesday night. I and I definitely won't be able yeah, to go see it know. Thursday. Um, and then I'm going to go for a walk for two hours. <laughs> and then Friday, I've got to go to Atlanta, and then UGA game. I might have to. I might have to wait till Sunday to see this movie, dude. Yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving week, it's tough. We'll see. And then there's also, um, I think Macbeth? No, doesn't come out that week. Something else comes out that Oh, House of Gucci. I might have to do, right. like, a Sunday double feature and see both mm. of those movies. That would be fucking fun. All right. We got plenty of time to talk about our plans. I'm, I got us off track right there. Um, <laughs> four new movies going up on the poll probably on Saturday or Sunday. I need to start doing those earlier so we have time to actually watch them. Um. Yeah, I liked this movie. I like this movie a lot. I like New Country a lot. I like Paul Thomas and Joel and Ethan a lot. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson loves Venom, so I love him too. Let there be Carter, the second one. Yes, Venom two. Great fucking movie. I loved it. And he loved Titan. And he did love Titan. Um, weird movie. Go watch that too. Uh, you got anything left, Jacob? I feel oh, like okay. I do. feel like PTA is a. <laughs> I feel like PTA is the type of guy that, like, he was probably watching Venom 2, just, like, high as fuck on his couch, just chilling, just like, I fucking love this movie. He's one of those type of guys. This is, uh, That's my impression of PTA. Well, Venom 2 is peak cinema, so, um. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for having another talk with me, Jacob. It was a fun one. Yes, it was, as always. All right. I'll see you next week, buddy. Till next time. Thank you.